एक मिनट रुक जाओ रेडी होने दो चलो ये कर लेते हैं फॉर्मेट Ashish Singhal, the founder of CoinSwitch, has gone through the same journey multiple times in his life. Be it while he was still in school and got into an accident so bad that he was bedridden for six months, or while navigating CoinSwitch through the two-year ban on cryptocurrency in India, CoinSwitch started life as a cryptocurrency platform that scoured multiple crypto exchanges to offer the customer the best prices out there. This eventually became a B2B product that worked with companies like Microsoft, helping them accept cryptocurrency as a form of payment. Once the crypto trading ban was lifted, CoinSwitch gambled the company on retail trading, shutting down its B2B division to focus on building a crypto exchange for millions of retail investors. Today, it's among the largest crypto exchanges in India, and it's reportedly worth two billion dollars in its latest fundraise. Here's Ashish telling Akshay Dutt about CoinSwitch. What was it like for you to grow up in Meerut? it it was good uh, as a, as a kid i never felt uh, you know uh, that you know the security or anything were an issue we always lived in places because some it's a more populated area right and it's more close knit you know everyone everywhere right so even if i'm walking down people know that oh doctor saab ka beta ja raha hai right so your, your dad was a doctor okay yeah yeah so everyone knew him well and it's a well connected society and all those right so it's not like so nuclear it is today but uh, so but when i go back now i feel a little insecure because i don't recognize a lot of people and you know when you go to the streets the, the population because the infrastructure hasn't hasn't moved much but the population has grown significantly uh, right so uh, everything is lack of resources and you know too much noise too much crowd uh, and after bangalore it feels a little weird but security wise i've never felt uh, anything bad in merit so who influenced you to try for engineering you know i mean your dad is a doctor so yes. the most obvious influence would have been to become a doctor only so you know yes. what what made you go towards engineering side So uh, in eleventh, when we have to choose maths versus bio, right? So I had both because I loved math, but I wanted to be my like my father, uh, a doctor, right? So I couldn't leave math out of the picture, and I I kept bio as well. But you know, when when I did an introspection, I realized you know this is not what I enjoy. Math is something that you know I love, right? And my father was very open in the sense that you know. do whatever you want to do right so and and within like 2 3 months of struggling with bio plus math i i left uh, bio next subject was computer science so i i went into computer science with math uh, uh, from there so did you like join classes for engineering entrance like i mean you you got into nsit which is again yeah. like one of the top notch yes. engineering colleges so like you you prepared a lot for it yeah. yes so there is a there is a sad story and a good story the good is toward the end but uh, so in 11th obviously like any other uh, kid right i i wanted to be in iits uh, and and so on so i joined uh, coaching as well in merit there are some amazing amazing tutors out there right so uh, but in 11th i met uh, within the first few months of of uh, the the 11th class i met with an accident and i was bedridden for 6 months right wow. so i okay. had like 150 stitches yeah, uh, ro- like road doctors. accident or what yeah road accident yes oh like a car ran over i was on a scooter and a, a car hit me from behind i fell on the right side of the road there was a scooter coming towards me which hit my stomach oh, so uh, so i i was almost i would have been almost dead but uh, I, I the the school was in uh, uh, the military area where you know the, there was some major uh, going through that road he took me up went to the military hospital got the initial uh, you know uh, he got the bleeding stopped and got the initial bandages done so i i could survive actually because of him otherwise wow. i wouldn't be here wow. uh, but you know after that for the 6 months i i was just bedridden couldn't do anything couldn't study and after that 
obviously i almost 11th was over right so i i had to cover two years of uh, learning to get into any entrance but as a kid i never thought about failure and and that is something that i know it it, it was natural at that point in time that okay this is this is a hurdle we have to just cross it right so i studied day and night uh, very crazy schedule but uh, making sure that you know i succeed and get into iits ultimately got some 4000 rank in iit but i wanted computer science obviously couldn't get it uh, next best option was was nsit because like i got 1000 in aiee so nsit was much easier to get into and then you know that's where my my uh, engineering journey started where did you get this kind of work ethics from that never give up and like you know 12 ghante padhai karna and stuff like that तो बारह घंटे स्मॉल आई यूज टू स्टडी सिक्सटीन बट सो बट बट यू नो कमिंग टू द मेन पॉइंट दैट आई थिंक इट वॉज जस्ट ग्रोइंग अप राइट एंड नॉट नॉट हार्डशिप्स पर से बट आई हैव सीन माई पेरेंट्स स्ट्रगल एंड that's where your i wanted dad to help he was in a job or he had his own he was he was a doctor his his own practice but uh, like he he used to work in in uh, in a place where there weren't too many you know he he was a doctor for uh, i i don't want to say the needy but you know he still was in a not so educated or not so moved upon in the society kind of a world right so where a lot of people from different villages would come and get and treated they, and all that they would not and, have paying power yes and he would he would never say that you know let me increase my uh, fee because he he knew and i one day i told him dad you charge 5 bucks uh, to treat a patient why don't you charge 10 right he's wow, like they can't afford bucks, it right? Huh? Okay. right so so he's that kind of a guy and you know and it's not that we were poor or anything it it was like a typical middle class family right so, uh, so i've always seen them struggle for things and i always wanted to contribute to it so uh, how, how was the nsit experience for you like you know from meerut into delhi yeah so uh, obviously adjusting took some time but uh, a lot of so in nsit the the problem or the i don't know how to describe it whether it's a problem or a good thing but 85% of the people were reserved for delhiites and 15% is the only seat that from outside people can come in right so it was a good part as well that those 15% of the people was a very close knit set of people right uh, because they they are struggling the same things uh, delhi is more you know uh, more you know people speak in proper english and they are they are uh, you know much more refined than people coming from different areas and we were more uh, you know more uh, like normal I, i don't know how to describe that right so uh, coming together and you know hostels were only given to these 15% of the people unless you live very far in delhi so it was a qu- quite tight knit of people even govind who's you know is my friend from first day of college as the co-founder of pinesit right so that's tight knit we are right since uh, we were 18 years old we've been friends so uh, so that was actually good and the bad part that we were not able to fit in but we found a place for ourselves because every one of us was struggling to this with the same problems and it was easy to connect uh, and and you know do do well in college so yeah okay and uh, like you know how did your personality change in those four years i think uh, i i've always been a very competitive guy right so i always have to be first in class uh, when i'm first in class i have to be first overall in all the sections right so uh, i've always done that till 12th but when i came to college i realized that's not going to happen anymore you <laughs> are much much smarter than me uh, yeah. and i didn't find uh, the study material to be that innovative or that engaging at that point right so but i found practical knowledge very well right so uh and it, it was very empowering it was doing projects and you know creating something new right and that was the way that i took that in theory i might score 80 90 i'm i'm okay with it but in practicals i have to score 95 right so and because that would give me power to learn and to actually do something about it right so and i think i i moved into that uh in college also you know uh, the goals goal become job right uh in nsit obviously you you get some amazing amazing companies but uh in second year it was about internship right so uh i there was only one company who gave internship to second years in college which was uh, infoedge nokri.com and like there were just two people selected and i was one of them uh in the third year there were two companies microsoft and deloitte and i got into microsoft uh, for internship right so i had a pretty i got pretty good opportunities within 
uh, within the ecosystem my friends were amazing supporting me always and, and, and amazon must have been the like among the top paying companies yes, on yes, campus yes, yes. Uh-huh. so we didn't know what amazon actually does but uh, it it was a talk of the town that amazon pays the highest so you have to get there right so uh, everyone fought there and all three of us so uh, me govind rajesh uh, were the best friends and all three ended up in amazon right so that was like a dream come true for all three of us so so yeah so that's how the journey started from there hmm. and uh, that's when you went to bangalore like your your bangalore journey started with amazon yes yes okay so like you know when did that uh, move towards quitting amazon and becoming an entrepreneur happen like you know w- what was the impetus sure so i wanted to do something of my own from from very start right since class 11th uh, that is where i got my first computer and google is something that you know always enamored me right so like how can you make something so simple and so amazing right and and that is why i came into computer science as well right and uh, that was always there that you know i want to create something of my own not that i i don't like working in amazon i am here today because of amazon the kind of principles the kind of you know values that they imbued in me is the reason that i am here and maybe a success or a failure i do not know at this point but whatever i am is because of amazon uh, so i think that was a very important journey but i always wanted to do something bigger right and uh, so so that's where the entrepreneur journey started uh, first taking a sabbatical from amazon trying out few things on my own uh, couldn't couldn't find it couldn't understand much because obviously not connected not didn't know how how startups work and that's where i i got connected to few friends who were trying to do a startup and then joined them as a cto and you know thought that okay let's let's figure out how this work works because from outside you can never learn what happens inside uh, i know that you know leaving amazon was at a point that you know you were growing you were getting promotions and earning enough but the idea was that until i take that leap of faith i'll never be able to do it on my own right so i think uh, create and as a as a person i i like creating backups so uh, i had enough money i had enough shares i sold everything uh, it is a bad call if you retrospectively look at <laughs> yeah, it but yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, i sold everything making sure that my parents have enough so no no matter what happens uh, in the journey i have enough money for every possible you know scenario that can happen from there right so i think that gave me enough comfort to move out and do something of my own how how does amazon's esop work like because you get shares in the us entity na so you like sell it and then those dollars are transferred to india okay like so uh, you get a morgan stanley account and you know uh, your shares get deposited there when uh, they get vested uh, they are actually allocated to you they sell some part of it pay tax in india and rest lies in that account you sell it uh, get the remaining amount in inr in india and if there is a difference uh, in which you know you got it versus you paid the tax at you pay the difference in the tax and that's it right so it's a pretty streamlined process uh, but uh, it was much easier right so we just have to place a bid uh, it it's like selling on zero dha itself right that yeah, okay. you place a self uh, bid and money is in your bank right so yeah Okay. Okay. So, like, fifteen uh, is when you quit Amazon, uh, and yes. uh, you know. So, what did you quit for? Like, so I started uh, with Vasu and uh, Lavanya Urban Tailor, which was about hmm. aggregating. So that was the time where Uber for X was the, hmm. the, yeah, yeah, the yeah, critical yeah. point, yes, right? So yes, yes, uh, yes. we started uh, Uber for Tailoring, uh, which basically wanted to solve custom fit and size problem for a lot of people. A lot of people are not. uh you know are okay buying uh, ready made clothes because they are faster but uh, obviously if given a chance they would want to go to a custom fit right so that was our problem statement and we wanted to make custom fit as easily accessible as ready made right uh, so that was uh, the the journey that we took uh, a short journey learned a lot uh, i think there are a lot of lessons did you like failure. raise funds for that yes. or so, yes yes okay. so we we raised from uh, you know we had a angel round before because vasu comes from uh, mintra a lot of mintra mintra co-founder invested in us a uh, lot of mintra folks invested in us and uh, that was a seed round then we raised our uh, you know pre series a as well from unitas uh, fund uh, but and we had a lot of money in the bank as well before we you know called it quits uh, so we re-returned that money to the investor why did you call it quits like so we realized that you know the problem statement that we started with uh, wasn't solvable in the current scheme of things that we were trying to solve right we were trying to scale it up but when when we started doing like 200 to 300 orders a day 
the the logistics starts to fall apart started to fall apart right what so, was the offering like you get uh, a tailor who visits your home and takes the measurement and all that yeah like what yeah so basically you get a give a garment which fits you perfectly and we replicate hmm. that in any material that you want okay and you choose okay. the design on on our website so you design your own clothes give a, a measurement garment and we stitch it for you right so but you know there are a lot of movements a lot of moving parts in the ecosystem a lot of clothes to handle a lot of logistics fit is always about a feel right today something fit you perfectly but the new garment it may be the exact fit but you might fit, still feel like that oh it doesn't fit that well right so it's it's more uh, and uh, so like that problem we couldn't solve it entirely and the quality uh, for the tailoring units that we had right we were we didn't have tailors in house we were aggregating a lot of tailors in the bangalore the quality keeps on shifting because the people at their place would could uh, you know keep on quitting and you know they would get new folks so there was never a quality control that we could build through software that we th- always thought of building right so we wanted to be a software driven thing but it became a lot of manual processes uh, and ultimately we decided that you know that's not scalable uh, at we, what we thought it could be and that's where we decided to uh, to leave mm. plus uh, i don't think single fit my customer would be happy typically wo ek fit hogi fir wo bolega yahan se thoda dheela karo ha ha so there was a lot of back and forth alterations and also the cost was just ballooning up right and we were not able to uh, compete with obviously uh, uh, the direct the your local tailor right? and just visit right. and uh, get uh-huh. it done right in front uh-huh. of you right? so, ha 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 there there's not much value add happening here yes mm. yes Yes. Okay. Okay. So then, what did you do? So then, I uh, then uh, once we shut down the company, it was obviously it was very hard. And then we moved on to I moved on to Lift Space. Uh, Lift Space, uh, you know, uh, my mentors from Amazon was. uh you know uh, part of their team as well so it felt like a group, good set of people to work with uh, to learn from and i went there uh, ramakant who is who was the cto at that time was you know amazing he's still the co-founder and he's now a ceo but uh, you know he he's still an investor in our company at coinsearch but he's an amazing guy right so and learned a lot from him from others there uh, but always that that point was there you know creating something on my own so i i you know was was doing crypto trading way before uh, was very excited about crypto ever since 2013 i read the white paper and uh, within lift space i got enough time to explore new things new areas we built something for three of us and you know made it public uh and saw that you know what, what did you build so uh, the the problem in crypto is that uh, especially in 2017 when the concept was really new and crypto is a traded entity right so the price of a crypto depends on the demand and supply on any given platform so price varies across exchanges right even stocks vary between nsc and bsc but the price equates very quickly because there are just two exchanges out there uh but in crypto there were tens of exchanges uh user experience was so complicated of every one of them uh and you know price was varying so we wanted to build like something like a make my trip to help user discover the best price and also convert right on our platform and that's how the coin switch story originated right like and, a uh, crypto exchange aggregator or, yes uh, yes, uh, yes how exigo started yes uh, exactly exactly right so and within a month uh, we were doing million dollars gmv a day although we were still employed at lift space but no but how, how, what, yeah. what does this mean million dollar gmv because you were just directing people ahead na like so we were not they, they wouldn't get redirected to the exchange so we built a very custom experience like you go to make my trip right you don't go to indigo website to book a flight make my trip integrates and give you a consistent experience on booking a flight and that's what we okay. did we didn't so you had like all, api integration yes, with yes. all with the exchanges yeah, yeah. Okay. so okay. the experience for a user become consistent he knows how to use coin switch he doesn't need to know how different exchanges work right so and that kind of gave us a a view into the crypto industry and we actually built it for ourselves right because we were trading we were not getting the best price we thought of building it for ourselves and then made it public and realized the potential of it mm-hmm. and uh, were you monetizing this when you initially yes. built yes so uh, uh, these exchanges to bring volume to them they pay you affiliate fee right and that uh, is how we were we were earning our, our money so for a user it, it's a win win situation for both of us right that user how the make my trip or the 
exegos of the world works, right? So, yeah. so uh, when was this, when you did this experiment? So we started in June 2017 is when the company went live uh, with our website and, you know, started trading uh, in crypto. Uh, within a month, like we started a million dollars GMV a day. Uh, then, you know, we got into uh, Y Combinator, we applied for Y Combinator, got into uh, the interview round and uh, that's where uh, we decided to quit Lift Space as well, you know, to form it as a, a formal company. We couldn't make it into YC, but uh, within the next 10 days, we got into Sequoia. So after leaving our job, we left, I think, in the second week of December. By the fourth week of December, we had a term sheet signed and everything from Sequoia. How much did you raise from Sequoia? So that would have been like a seed round. Yeah, yeah. so that was about 1.2 to 1.5 million. A lot of angel investors got in, Sequoia got in and, you know, helped us, uh, you know, do the initial uh, uh, validations of our ideas and uh, make sure that we had enough money to build something concrete. So what did Sequoia see in you? Like, was it the space that they were bullish about? Was it you guys? What was it? So I think it was the team. Uh, and, uh, you know, obviously the space was booming. Uh, there were not a lot of entrepreneurs in crypto at that point in time. Uh, and I'm biased here, but uh, we, we were one of the best teams out there. Uh, technically smart, have shown our abilities in a lot of hackathons, right? So we have, we have even, like we've won every single hackathon in India, including Sequoia Hack, which is Asia's largest hack. So Sequoia, Sequoia knew us that, you know, if something interesting or something innovative needs to be done, then these are the guys that they can take a bet on, right? What happens in a hackathon? Like you're given a problem statement for which you have to build a software. Yeah, what is it like? They kind of give you a track. Sometimes it's very open. Do whatever you want to do. Something Build something amazing, right? So uh, you have 36 hours or 24 hours, uh, stay up all night, build something amazing, showcase it to, to uh, the judges. And if they like it, uh, they rank you on that, right? So uh, we realized... So, Initially, we were losing a lot of hackathons uh, because we were always trying to build the best product, right? Uh, we realized that hackathons are not about uh, products. They are about ideas, right? So if you want to build, a, say, a, a base on Mars as a hackathon project, you don't build a base on Mars. You build a rocket to show to the judges that I can reach Mars and build it, right? So that was the trick that then we started using and started winning hackathons. So we would sell an idea of Set, uh, you know, setting up a base on Mars and we tell them that, oh, obviously we can't reach Mars in 36 hours. This is what the major critical problem is that, you know, the the uh, spaceship does not exist, which can take you to Mars, right? Building is, is relatively easy, would have its pro problems, but it's relatively easy. But we have built the spaceship for you. Uh, who could help us, uh, you know, settle on Mars, right? So that was the kind of a moment for us to understand what hackathons are about. And after that, we never lost a hackathon. Hmm. Okay. So uh, January 18th, you now are funded by Sequoia. What kind of uh, daily GMV were you doing that time? Uh, at, at one point, we were doing almost a billion dollars uh, a month in GMV. Uh, even at one point, Microsoft was using our services to convert, uh, you know, to accept cryptocurrencies uh, for their Xbox payments. Uh, so we, we built a very uh, amazing set of APIs which help you convert crypto at a fixed price, no matter how the market is moving. Uh, if once you book uh, an order with us, the price is fixed. No uh, how do you achieve that? So we built algorithms which basically trade on the market, on the aggregated liquidity market. And uh, based on a lot of different factors, those algorithms determine what could be the price in the next five minutes, right? Or what the direction of the price is. And putting a volatility fee on top of it, uh, ensuring that no matter what happens, you don't lose the money. That's not true. We do lose money in a lot of trades as well. But on aggregate, you always do better uh, in the market, right? So building and uh, those algorithms have actually helped us build CoinSwitch Kuber as well. But that was the start of the journey, right? How do you build? How So it's sim similar to how Goldman Sachs do block order trading, right? Uh, as, a, as a consumer, they always quote you a single price for, say, a million shares. Then they go back, talk to exchanges and figure out how do I get a million shares at a better price, which I gave uh, to the user and earn money from that. So user get the amazing rate. But as a company, you make uh, money as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. So your uh, product version one, which you launched with, was essentially 
like a global it was called coinswitch only like yes, you had the name from it yeah okay and, and this was like a global product uh, yeah. like uh, what percentage was outside india and what percentage everything was, was outside india so we were okay, not operating everything. in india okay. because of the rbi ban hmm. Yeah. Hmm. okay and this then uh, from being b2c then eventually you started building in yeah. like api integration products which business yes. like say microsoft xbox and yes. these kind of products to to build up more business related services yes yes okay, okay. and that's how we grew uh, so even you know last we've always been a profitable company so we never relied on investor money although you know had amazing investors but we always wanted to be self sufficient and uh, you know that's where we grew we we Uh, at one point of time through this business we were earning almost 10 million dollars in profits uh, wow a year right so uh, and then came 2020 when you know the rbi ban got reverted and uh, what we always dreamt to to build in india to deliver for india that kind of opportunity opened up and that's where coinsuch kubair was conceptualized and launched uh, in india okay okay so coinsuch is like the global brand and product and coinswitch kubeer is a, a crypto exchange yeah. yeah so coinswitch kubeer now is the only product uh, today for the company and is the main focus of the company so because of the opportunities in india we decided to shut down our, our global operations or put them on hold for for the time being and uh, focus all our energies on coinswitch kubeer itself but when have great customers like microsoft using your product then why, why would you want to shut that down I mean, I think, and also yeah. because it was profitable so yes. you know <laughs> so it's counterintuitive but uh, and a lot of our investors also you know uh, were not in agreement uh, but they trusted us enough that they said okay do whatever you want we trust you right uh, we always believe that the opportunity in, in india is so large uh, that our focus cannot be diverted right uh, so we wanted to be a single focus company and that's where we took this call so coinswitch kubeer is now like an exchange of its own you are no longer doing that aggregation of exchanges we still do aggregation so for a user we are the front end uh, you know unlike exigor mike my trip they don't get options to choose from and things like that uh, they are interfacing with us but in the back end we still aggregate because aggregation gives us the best liquidity uh, on the planet right so and uh, with best liquidity we can give the best price to our users Okay 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 so essentially for crypto the volatility is so high that if you are able to do a good job at executing uh, that is how you make money then yes like yes okay uh, essentially like if you are able to hedge against volatility like that is the yeah. core service it's, it's offering for the value add yeah. uh. it's a little hedge and it's also because we work with a lot of exchanges right and we bring volume a lot of our exchanges that we work with we are the biggest clients of theirs right so they treat us preferentially as well they don't charge us the fee that they would charge a normal user they would give us maker fees and things like that so through all those business relationship plus algorithms on top of it can give us the earning uh, you know that that we need to survive and thrive uh, in this business mm-hmm. yeah, okay uh, how is this different from say wazirx so they are an exchange so there's a typical exchange where people go buy sell trade with each other right but we aggregate similar to wazirx there are 100 not 100 tens of exchanges out there so we aggregate all of them together so wazirx would have their own liquidity but every exchange would have their own liquidity and aggregating every one of them would give us the highest liquidity possible whoever has the highest liquidity can execute the order the best way possible to give you an example if say one exchange is selling uh, one bitcoin at 50 bucks uh, second bitcoin has at, at 60 bucks the other exchange is selling one bitcoin as 55 and second as say 65 then i can get at an average price of 52.5 uh two bitcoins right while on a single exchange either one of them cannot offer that uh, to you okay 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 got it okay and uh, you are like this is a global thing like you can work with any exchange across the world there there are no borders as far as crypto is concerned because yes. a bitcoin is a bitcoin anywhere in the world yes yes and that's the that's the nature of the business itself right that uh, cryptocurrencies are global in nature their price are not only uh, locally dependent but it's globally dependent uh, based on the liquidity across uh, the market right so that's where we excel as well so we aggregate all local players in india plus all global players outside mm-hmm. okay and uh, do you get uh, customers from outside india like people mm-hmm. who are so now we have stopped our global operations uh, and we only focus on india mm-hmm. so uh, in the sense that anyone who wants to use uh, 
will first need to do some sort of KYC and prove that he's an Indian citizen, like some Aadhaar or yes. something. So he has to do, he has to link his PAN, verify his PAN through a government DB check, uh, then, okay. you know, upload Aadhaar, passport or voter ID to prove his identity and give his address. Then, you know, provide a selfie or a video for liveliness check of that user. And then also we link your bank account. So you can only deposit and withdraw to the bank account that belongs to you. Right, to make sure that the money coming in, going out, uh, all belongs to you and there are no uh, legal issues uh, around the money movement uh, within crypto, which is you know the, the biggest concern of, of the government. So we make sure that we are the most regulated exchange uh, in India, self-regulated at this point, but hoping that the regulations we follow becomes the norm uh, in the crypto industry in India itself. So uh, I'm not an expert in crypto, but... Uh, my understanding is that the weak link in the chain is the wallet, you know, where yes. people can lose money. Uh, can you help me understand how this works? Sure. How does the wallet work? Why is sure. it a weak link? And Sure. sure. So uh, think, think of it this way, right? So when you keep money in the bank, uh, bank is responsible for the security of that fund. You can also take out cash, uh, put it in a locker, which belong, which is in your house have you know multiple locks in it secure the key in a, in a safe place so now you are responsible uh, for that money right not the bank so crypto exchanges are like that itself right so as an exchange we are like a bank we are responsible for your uh, cryptocurrencies that we hold on behalf of you so uh, if say anything goes wrong at a crypto exchange uh, not just the exchange loses its money it loses money which it kept for uh, from the user right which which uh, it tries to secure on behalf of the user but uh, as a wallet now you can take out and uh, put it in a, a wallet which is owned by you right now you are in charge of that security now you have the key which you need to secure now right so earlier it was you know uh, in in hands of the exchange who would obviously you know have a great cyber security uh, you know a process in place making sure it's secure and and protected but you can also take charge of that process and make sure that you are the uh, owner of that crypto and you are the one who is responsible for the security of that cryptocurrencies so there are pros and cons in both approaches uh, for some people one works better for others the other work better right help but, me understand uh, what is the difference when you are responsible for your wallet versus when the exchange is responsible exchange responsible means you probably put your username and password on the website and then you access your wallet and do the yes. transaction. Yes. How is it different? You become responsible. So when you become responsible, you get a passphrase, which is unique uh, in the world for you, which uh, you can write it on a paper, but say if somebody clicks a photo of that paper, he can replicate your vault and steal your money, right? Uh, as an exchange, we are now a single point of failure because uh, a lot of hackers can simply attack us to take our users' fund. Right. So there are pros and cons in both as uh, securing yourself. You have to take all those precautions. You have to make sure that uh, your key is not lost. Your key is secured, uh, you know, but that key will only work on coin switch. No, uh, coin so, switch so what, yeah. what I was saying was that coin switch is a wallet, which is a custodian wallet, which is one part, which is like a bank. And the other part is where you buy a safe and put it in your house. So when I talk about the wallet, it is that wallet, which is the safe, which is outside of the coin switch ecosystem. So you have created a new wallet. But how do you access it? You know, I have never used crypto, so I'm sure. asking questions which sure. sound like You should questions. create an account on CoinSwitch <laughs> where, first of all. <laughs> yes. Uh, so if you have never used your uh, uh, crypto, right? So how crypto works is you can go to an exchange and buy and sell crypto. And uh, now the security is with the exchange because the money is lying with the exchange itself. You can decide to take it out. Take it out means transferring into a new wallet which you created. You only know the key to that wallet. It could be a hardware wallet like a ledger, treasure, or it could be a software wallet like Exodus, Jax, right? So these are separate software which you run on your laptop now. Okay. Nobody else okay. Uh, okay. is running okay. on behalf of you, right? So now you run that software, it'll give you a password which you have to write it down or secure it in a perfect way, right? And then transfer money from CoinSwitch to this wallet and keep this you know under your security but if you lose the password if somebody stole your password then it is gone secondly on coin switch uh, they can only store your uh, they can steal your uh, you know password and pin they have to st uh, steal multiple things from you to be able to access your account but even if 
they do it for a single user, only that user's account get hacked, not all the users of CoinSwitch. For that to happen, CoinSwitch needs to get hacked, uh, right? So, uh, and as, as a company, we would take much larger precautions on securing your funds, engaging, you know, cybersecurity firms from best in class in, around the world, making sure that your funds are protected the best way, best way possible. What so, is your level of confidence that you will not get hacked? So my level of confidence is above 90%, but this level of confidence can never be 100 because you don't know what you don't know, right? And that's why you employ the people whose job is to figure out what is wrong with the system, right? So uh, we employ one of the firms, uh, I cannot name them, but it is formed by, you know, the ex-CSO of Facebook, right? So, uh, uh, you know, a lot of national security level, he has worked in helping governments secure their systems. And now he helps us in building our cybersecurity engines, right? So uh, it's, you have to continue. So it's a continuous process. There, is, there isn't a set steps that you do these five steps and you're done. Uh, it's a continuous evolving process. It's a, it's a cat and mouse uh, game, right? right. Hackers are right. trying to right. always evolve their techniques and you as a company is always trying to be ahead of them, right? Uh, making sure that your funds, uh, the, your users' funds are secure, right? So it's always a continuous process. It's just that some exchanges uh, work harder at this, some do not. And uh, you're rightly said 56% of exchanges have shut down, big exchanges have shut down in the last uh, 10 years uh, because of these hacks, right? So this is one of the biggest threat uh, to a cryptocurrency exchange and making, ensuring that you are always ahead uh, is a constant battle that, that we fight. So can you help me understand use cases? Like what is the use case sure. of Bitcoin? What is it for Ethereum? And some other interesting use cases according to you. Sure, sure. So uh, Bitcoin was created as a currency, a replacement for a currency, right? So uh, how you transact, uh, uh, you know, your internet banking, moving money from one place to another. Bitcoin was an easier store of value to be able to transfer uh, similar to gold, uh, how gold used to be bartered uh, back in the days, right? So uh, Ethereum is more like an AWS, right? Where, which allows you to host decentralized applications. Uh, onto its platform, right, and run decentralized applications. Any application can solve any set of problem, uh, but where do you run it? You run it on the Ethereum blockchain. You write your code on Ethereum blockchain, which makes sure that any code that is run is run in a decentralized fashion. There's no central entity controlling the functions uh, of, I'll, I'll give you an example to, to make it easier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> you can so, probably yeah, see the expression yes, yes. on my face. <laughs> right. so, uh, so let's say uh, you're running Uber, right? Uh, what Uber does is connecting a driver to a rider, right? That's all it does, right? Uh, but Uber is a central entity. Tomorrow it can say, oh, I will charge 25% to the user, 25% of the driver, and nobody can do anything about it. What a decentralized system means is that I created an algorithm to match a driver and a rider. Now, no matter who the rider is, no matter who the driver is, they always follow a certain set of rules to get connected, right? So I cannot change the logic at any given point. So think of surge pricing when you think of it, right? So say, uh, you know, something bad happens or there, there is a, uh, you know, Indra Nagar, you're in Indra Nagar, a, a lot of clubs, you know, close at 11 and there would be a lot of uh, demand uh, there, right? So the price goes up, but nobody knows how the price is going up. Who is determining these price? Uh, are Uber, you know, charging just for the sake of it or is actually the demand and supply ratio that they are maintaining? Now you put that out in a set of piece of rules, which are public for anyone to see and validate, right? And once that is public, now any one driver and rider that comes on that platform, it becomes clear to them on why they are getting charged so much or why they are getting paid so less, right? And now these set of rules are uh, hosted globally, validated globally. And this de demand and supply now can work across without worrying about that a single entity can tomorrow change anything in this and you know it will fail right so this is a decentralized system where you know it's a written set of rules which are not dictated by a central entity uh, what is some real world application of this like uber of course was a hypothetical example you gave me so but loan what is, is it that loan a lot of companies are working on solving this use case, right? How do you get a loan? How do you get a micro loan uh, at an interest rate, which is driven by market, not by 
uh you know uh, your history subjective yeah not yeah. not on subjective terms not on bureaucratic terms right so there are other insurance is another example right so when you take insurance your insurance claims again go through that bureaucratic channel right so wherever in the world you can think that standardizing a process and eliminating the element of humans from it uh humans are still required to build and you know process these what i'm trying to say removing the human element is removing the biases uh of an human in that cryptocurrencies or blockchain can help you solve that use case right which and can these are also called smart contracts right yes these are called smart contracts so when you write a code you put it in a, as a contract so that's a contract that you and i are signing uh, if we are engaging on that contract right so that is how it works so it there are hundreds and hundreds of use cases where it can be solved okay and how does ethereum host these smart contracts how does that happen uh, so i am not smart enough to be able to explain <laughs> this this entire process but think of it this way right so uh, uh, think of uh, how a validation happens right so uh, when this code is getting deployed across uh, uh, across you know geography so there are set of people who says that oh i will host your code and anything that happens on your code i will charge you a fee for it right or you can pay a fee to me and to make this transaction happen and if that transaction happens successfully i will get that fee from you right so it's create an incentive mechanism on blockchain which helps you uh, which helps the other side who is helping you run this code decentrally and uh, it gives an incentive to the user uh you know paying a fee to the miner who ultimately helps you bring that transaction onto the blockchain uh complete a process and then earn money uh through that okay so essentially you pay in ethereum and uh, the miner is the one who is Uh, validating everything infra- infrastructure yeah. huh. okay infrastructure okay. as well as validation so say if you're if i'm paying you five bucks right and uh, somebody needs to validate whether ashish has five bucks and has he has it reached uh, reached uh, akshay right so somebody needs to validate so if there are 100 people on the blockchain then 51 of them has to say that oh this transaction is valid right and doing that work uh, we have to pay them something and that payment uh, either comes from the blockchain itself or comes as a fee or both uh, right on bitcoin blockchain it comes as both so whenever a transaction get added to the ecosystem to the blockchain a blockchain itself gives a reward uh, to the miner who helped you know uh, did this task and he also get the fee which ashish agreed to pay uh, while he was transferring 5 bucks to akshay so maybe not your personal opinion but the ones which uh, are getting accepted like interesting use case cryptocurrencies sure sure so uh, uniswap i uh, is is one example where they built an exchange a decentralized exchange with a very unique uh, market making model for an exchange to happen there has to be a buyer and a seller right uh, now a decentralized exchange where user experience used to be a bigger problem a lot of sellers didn't used to come a lot of buyers didn't used to come so they always had a problem of liquidity on their platform so now they did something amazing building a mathematical model on determining price based on liquidity pools that they were creating right i'll again not in go move much in depth there but this but in, in a way it's like search yeah bringing in search pricing like not if there sir. is <laughs> something not like enough that. liquid so, huh. yeah, yeah so making well, a mathematical that, model using yeah. that concept huh. yes making huh. a mathematical model on how the price to be determined of any asset and if the price is too high compared to the market gives them gives people incentive to sell their asset at a higher cost which then equates the price back to normal if it goes too down it gives the people opportunity to buy and when they buy the price again goes up so they created a mathematical model to equate the price at any given time and eliminating the dependencies from uh, buyers and sellers aggregating together uh, so that is one amazing use case and how they have solved it and amms are a like a mathematical problem have be, uh, have never been solved uh at at the scale which cryptocurrency industry is trying to solve right so uh, second is compound right which this uniswap yeah. is uh, doing this for what commodities or w- what is the cryptocurrency itself so okay, uh, for on crypto- uniswap okay. is an is a decentralized exchange where you can exchange one currency to another so they are trying to create without the need of actual order books they are trying to now create a model where a price of a crypto can be determined or exchange from one crypto to another 
right hmm. and uniswap is a coin also it is an exchange also and a coin also like you can yeah. also yeah so the coin comes from their uh, you know innovation so basically uh, whatever volume that they drive through that ecosystem they link it to their token so the more people find their use case worthy the more the you know the price variation happens in in their currency right so, so yeah similarly there are many right like compound and uh, uh, what and is many, compound compound is again the i lending. mean you know, i i find this very very fascinating sure. because i'm not from this world so i am getting to learn a lot i mean if you have the patience i would love to hear about no so these. there are many right so and i'm not the expert in all of them but i'll explain you compound so compound is exactly doing what we talked about lending and borrowing right uh, the use case on how to bring equality into the system uh, the interest rate are dependent on the demand and supply rather than uh, you know who you are as person right and how do i treat you so there are a set of rules which you can now determine and see where you can get the best benefit out right and those rules are applied equally to everyone so it enables you know micro lending uh, uh, even staking with you know uh, as as uh, if somebody is lending some money then somebody must be borrowing some money so a borrower pays that amount in, in interest uh, a lender gets that amount so you get opportunities on both end as a retail user i can invest there for people to borrow and it ensures that you know you will always get your money back uh, through the ecosystem that they are creating uh, and you know uh, a, a lender can lend uh, anything to the platform earn interest a borrower can borrow at a certain interest rate which is now mathematically determined rather than but how does it ensure that you get your money back uh, so basically you, you like you give your house as a uh, okay collateral. You know, collateral to a bank and it says oh your house is at uh, say $100,000 you can borrow $50,000 if your house value falls below 50,000 then i'll sell your house to recover my money right so like these are the basic uh, math that they apply on the assets that people borrow and lend uh, on the platform so basically collateralized lending is something where you don't need human obviously because yes. the collateral asset is there yes. so there is no need for a human being so that yes. can be totally uh, like automated through an algorithm yes mm. yes okay and uh, what are nfts like you know that's like the flavor of yes. the season do you think it's here to stay or is just flavor of the season so nft in general is a very amazing concept which is non fungible token it's like you know uh, we used to uh, collect cricket cards uh, right uh, uh, so which would be limited in number would exchange with each other uh, based on oh, sachin tendulkar's card and and things like that so these are non fungible tokens which are basically uh, one thing is different from the other so if you have a 100 rupee note which would be exactly same as i have 100 bucks as well right the two notes are interchangeable these nfts are basically uh, non interchangeable uh, assets right so think of us like a if you're buying a house that could be an nft uh, ultimately right which is tracked on blockchain ownership can be moved from one person to another and it is a physic is it linked to a physical asset uh, outside right so as a concept it has amazing value i personally disagree with what is happening in the industry at this point in time uh, which is which is more in terms of uh you know like nft is currently used for digital assets yes. like a like a image yes. or a yes. like a tweet yes. uh, so <laughs> uh, is uh, nft working on that greater fool theory like you you buy a tweet thinking that there'll be a greater fool who'll buy it from me at a higher price i won't say that i won't go that far i think people are smart they understand what they're getting into they understand the limitations as well and they are working to improve upon it right so they are the initial adopters uh, they are not just uh, you know uh, acting as a greater fool uh, but i feel that you should understand that risk before you get into it and that's where i'm saying that as a retail user sometimes it becomes glamour to to think of these things as you know something amazing happening without looking under the hood what actually is happening i'm not saying that these are wrong or right but i'm just saying that people has to do their research uh before they get into uh nfts right and nfts uh, would evolve and nfts could could change the way uh things work right when you're say i i love the concepts of linking offline to online uh, uh ecosystem right so i uh, even your insurances your uh, property buying your car buying your uh, anything that you're buying right as a serial number which is getting tracked now it is on blockchain if you are selling it to someone you pass that uh, nft to to that guy right so you are actually passing and now you can show the proof of ownership 
digitally of any physical asset that you own. It could apply to digital assets. Fractional ownership. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Right. So it has amazing, amazing use cases. I'm just saying that it's probably not at the stage uh, and how it is coming out to be, uh, especially in the last uh, six to 12 months. Hmm. But so far, nobody's using NFTs for uh, physical assets. Like, you, as, as you said, property would be a great use case for NFT. But I nobody's think, doing that so far. Again, so linking offline to online, I, I, I'm sure that hundreds of companies are working on this. I'm probably, uh, I do not have this much, much knowledge to know about it. I think, you know, Anderson Horowitz have, have invested in a couple of NFT companies which are doing amazing job. Uh, in in bringing NFTs to the masses and solving some amazing use cases, uh, which probably I I am not smart enough to understand at this hmm. point. <laughs> okay, got it. Cool. Okay, so uh, you uh, after that first funding from Sequoia, uh, subsequently what uh, like you know what was your funding journey like? Sure. So uh, I think. Uh, so I didn't tell you about the Coinswitch Kuwait journey, right? So why we started in India, right? So uh, in 2020, uh, once the RBI ban got reverted, uh, we when we looked into the market, we realized that a lot of exchanges were already there in India. But if you go to an exchange, you look at their experience, complicated graph, order books, buy, sell, and it created a hindrance for a retail user to go First of all, crypto is so complex. Now you put that experience on top of it, they will never go and buy a crypto, right? People are used to the experience of Swiggy, you know, add to cart, checkout food is at your home or uh, Uber and Ola, just a click of a button, you get the cap that you are looking for, right? So that is where, you know, we realized that the kind of problems we solved in 2017 can help us build a platform, which is, which would be very unique. It has never been done, not just in India, but around the world as well. Uh, helping user buy sell crypto where price remains fixed with a click of a button now they can buy sell any crypto that they want to as simple as ordering food online right so we realize uh, why is price remaining fixed unique is it that the case with say a wazir x or somewhere else like if i see a price and i click buy i don't get it at that price it's an order book right so say you're buying 10 bitcoin and you're buying at one lakh but the top bid is only 0.1 bitcoin at one lakh so you have to wait in the market for rest 9.9 Bitcoin to be bought, which, which may, may happen, may not happen. The price may fall down, but we ensure price guarantee. So when you see something on us, you buy it instantly and instantly it reflects in your wallet. Uh, no questions asked, right? So that is what like an online shopping is. If I give you an experience where you're you know buying a phone of 10,000 bucks, add it to cart and it, it became 11,000 you will be a little, uh, you know, uh, taken aback in whether I want to go ahead or not, right? So that's where we build that experience for our users, giving them the best price uh, uh, and, you know, a fixed price conversion with a click of a button. Uh, our experience was one of the simplest uh, in, in the world that at the time that we launched. And uh, we launched in June 2020 uh, and it just blew up. Today, uh, after 14 months, we are sits around at nine and a half million users. One of the fastest fintech company to ever reach that mark, uh, funded by the likes of, likes of Tiger, Ribbit, Paradigm, which is uh, Coinbase co-founders fund, uh, and Sequoia. Uh, and you know, uh, growing the company bigger and bigger every every single day, right? So, and today the largest crypto platform uh, in India. Right. So uh, that journey has been really, really remarkable uh, in, from the funding standpoint. You know, obviously, Sequoia was our initial backer, but uh, we realized that uh, within the three months of Coinsage Kubey launch, we had in a, uh, uh, you know, initial success and uh, product market fit uh, that we felt that we reached. That's where we reached out to Ribbit who is you know uh, one of the best investors in the world uh, uh, and you know have funded almost every fintech company in india and outside uh, be it coinbase be it robinhood uh, you know so these are the these are the uh, kind of uh, marquee uh, investors that they are and we wanted uh, them as one of our investors obviously that was a tall ask at that point but uh, we realized that you know uh, telling them about the problem that we are solving how we looked toward the market and they have taken risks on crypto before they were the series a investors of of uh, you know uh, coinbase itself so we uh, we reached out to them and you know they loved uh, our team and what we were doing and we we got a paradigm also who is again you know learned a lot from them who comes from coinbase co-founders himself and okay. uh, putting it together make the best possible series a for us 
Okay. This this when did the series A happen? Series A happened in uh, December December of uh, last year. And uh, Tiger was also part of this series A. So uh, Tiger happened in February. Uh, so uh, you know, uh, and it happened in a very interesting time when. a week before uh, our uh, you know uh, government announced that they might be considering a ban on crypto uh, and uh, within that week tiger came to us and said that you know no matter what happens we believe in you we believe in your team uh, we love what you're doing in this market and no matter uh, what happens uh, we want to fund you right so and that's how uh, uh, the series b happened uh, with tiger okay so so series b was not something you planned but yes. it, it was like a inbound yes and and tiger is known typically for being very very fast and aggressive yes. like yes. what was that whole experience like <laughs> it was it was uh, you know one of the one of the craziest experiences within like the 22 hours uh, it was signed done deal uh, wow. right so it was the yeah. one of the fastest turnaround time that i particularly have ever seen right? so so yeah wow Uh, okay, and uh, what was the raise in December and in uh, the Series B with Tiger? How much did you raise in each? So we raised in fifteen, about fifteen million in Series A, and Series B we raised about twenty-five million dollars. So yeah. And what valuation was in Series B? Series like the B most recent, a uh, little above a half a billion dollar. Amazing. Okay. So, uh, like, what is your monthly volume now? Like uh, GMV. We touch us somewhere around a billion, billion and a half uh, monthly. Wow, wow! And uh, how much was it beginning of this year, like Jan twenty one? I think we started obviously very small. I think hundred thousand dollars or something. I, I, I per day. So that would be I think three million dollars a a month. I okay. Guess. Wow. This is Jan twenty one or Jan twenty? Oh, so this... Jan twenty. Uh, I'm talking about like June twenty uh, twenty. So uh, okay. a year okay. back. So yeah. Okay. Wow. From three million to a billion and a half. Amazing. Okay. So, what next? You know, like all this. Uh, like, where do you want to spend the money that you've sure. raised? What What are your future bets? So, uh, we are obviously, you know, investing a lot in branding uh, and creating education around crypto. We want to uh, make sure that people understand what crypto is. Right. So, it's not about when the first thing that comes to your mind when you think about crypto. uh we want to have that very clearly defined uh, or have a very uh, not a positive spin but more of right messaging to the user right so making sure that they they don't think about illegal they don't think about ban when they think about crypto they actually understand crypto uh, and then make a choice for themselves whether it is good for them they want to be on the sidelines or they want to keep away from it uh, how much time does a crypto transaction take to complete like uh, i believe block uh, like bitcoin is supposed to be very slow in like the time it takes to complete the transaction sure so uh, crypto buying and selling is not actually a blockchain operation so it happens instantly within milliseconds right so when you click a button buy uh, you have that right how you order a food once you pay and click done that is how your your order is done right so uh, that is how crypto buying and selling works on coin such kubeer uh, when you go to blockchain when you are actually transferring say i am transferring bitcoin to you that is where a blockchain operation is happening where uh, the value is getting transferred uh, a bitcoin is getting transferred to you and then the miners need to approve it on average every block takes about 10 minutes uh, to, uh, to get the uh, you know uh, confirmation and it takes at least six confirmation is where people say that you know now it can never be reverted so it would take uh, from 10 minutes to 60 minutes to to get your transaction approved on the blockchain how was this different uh, like Sorry. how is it that uh, i as a retail user get instantly but the the sure. bitcoin uh, on huh? so you are not uh, transferring on blockchain so when you are buying and selling it's getting an exchange so it's getting exchange between one user to another so it's not actually reflecting on the blockchain itself right so it's a database entry how you do a upi transaction a bank doesn't actually hire a person give him the money who go, runs goes to the so it's not happening right so it's digital uh, it's money getting deducted from your bank 
and getting reflected on the merchant side instantly right that is how a blockchain transaction is so this is in a way like a inter exchange Uh, like one exchange and another exchange between themselves between them uh, or within the exchange uh, since you have both the parties all on there you are just uh, linking them uh, rather than creating a blockchain transaction for that to happen hmm, 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 hmm. okay but if you take it out to an external wallet that would then yeah. probably happen on the block yes okay so let me pose this question to you what, what was the failure you had in the last three months <laughs> I think one of the biggest failure is uh, you know uh, not building my team fast enough uh, not uh, anticipating the growth uh, in this journey and able to build uh, a lot of uh, you know lot of because the work increases right and people get burned out the idea is how do we anticipate that and start hiring those people because the process takes time right and the kind of requirements we have like uh, it it takes time to fill those positions and start looking for those people much earlier then where they're absolutely needed right is the crucial point that i particularly learned in the last uh, four months of our journey and hopefully i'll try to learn uh, and from it and you know do better uh, as we go mm-hmm. like hire in advance before you actually need those so people. when you're when you're doing something right it feels like let me just complete this work and then i will look how to solve it but that is not the time to actually go and solve it when you are actually doing that work figure out what do i have to do who do i need who can do this better than i am doing and who can actually help me the next time the situation arises right so i think taking a step back no matter how busy you are no matter how you know uh, uh, at the at the center of the storm you are uh, taking a step back and looking how do i solve it better next time who do i need uh, to solve it better and start that process from th- that point onwards so rather than waiting for that storm to be o- over and then start looking for that person mm. Right, right. Okay. And uh, are you a remote company now, or are you working from office? So we are okay. all remote. Uh, so I think Consciousness Kubeer was in, conceptualized within uh, this this remote environment. The day we decided to do Consciousness Kubeer, the next day lockdown came, and we all went remote. <laughs> uh, and and okay. uh, so far, uh, you know, the team has done an amazing job. Obviously, communication becomes an issue sometimes, but uh, I, uh, you know, we are figuring. Uh, ways to to solve that day in day out, uh, and we would hopefully remain a remote country till April next year, and we'll reevaluate the situation whether it's time for us to come back to office. But uh, would you like to be a remote company or an office based company so, in the long term? The way we are growing, right? So what happens is uh, a lot of people can learn from each other much faster if they are working together. Because when you're working together, you're not just an individual contributor. you're learning from your uh, outside peers and you know trying to grow right so what i feel is this this uh, environment is very good for individual contributors but their growth is is suffering they're not learning uh, from outside enough right and as a growing organization where you know the kind of processes are changing uh, too frequently it would be much easier when everyone is together and aligning together towards the same goal and trying to achieve that together right learning from our mistakes It, everyone doesn't have to make the same mistake we can just learn from each other i think that is what is missing today hmm hmm got it okay and what is your headcount split like this 250 people most of them would be tech i assume uh, so support is one of because like customer first so uh, our support team is quite big uh, uh, product tech marketing is uh, about 100 120 people and rest 120 people is support so uh, like you've not automated support like chatbots and stuff like that so uh, we so crypto is a is a uh, different market where you know a lot of people because it's about money right and and you would uh, it's not like a food ordering where uh, you, you can you can uh, you know when when something happens to you say you deposited money Uh, there might be a problem at the bank at the pg or in our system where the money didn't reflect back right so uh, dealing with a bot at that point in time becomes uh, you know uh, frustrating right so we want to give the best experience to our users making sure that they feel that there is somebody on the other side who cares as much as you know they can uh, uh, in solving and helping them out uh, through through this problem how many hours a day do you work 
I do not, uh, I don't know. I, I do not count the number of hours. I think. Like, Is it still like, you know, like what you did for your. No, I, uh, I don't think I worked that hard in engineering. Like, okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. So I'm always constantly thinking on the problems and trying to solve those problems. I think my role is now not how many hours I spend on my laptop uh, actually doing the work, but it's more about how am I enabling people to solve the problem uh, that they are facing, right? And try to constantly be in a problem-solving mode, right? So the day I wake up and uh, the moment I wake up and uh, till the time I, I go to sleep, I'm always thinking. Uh, whether that is work or not work, I do not know. But uh, that is the habit that has been built up. Cool. So uh, any advice for uh, aspiring founders, you know, like any last words you'd like to leave the listeners with? I think a lot of people, including me, uh, thinks about failure uh, when they are in an uncharted territory. And I think one hack that I found to to go over that is thinking that even if you fail, what is the worst thing that will happen? And once you rationalize that fear into what would actually happen rather than being afraid of it, it what gives you the confidence to go beyond, right? A lot of these times, our fears are only, you know, are just in our heads right and actually logically thinking through on what if even the worst case scenario happens what are the repercussions how do i come out of it and how do i create a plan to move forward in spite of the failure not that you're optimizing for failure but you're rationalizing it that even if you fail it's not the end of the world you still have you know uh, a path to go forward with i think that particularly has helped me and my team uh, to, to overcome fear, right? We are a very innovative and a fast-moving company. I know every company uh, says that, but like we take a lot of risks, right? And making sure that people are not just, uh, you know, overburdened or, or paralyzed by this fear of doing new things and they go beyond that. So, uh, you know, logically rationalizing, uh, you know, what are the next steps? What are the fallbacks? What do you do if you fail? What do you learn from it? And optimize for success, but be ready for failure is uh, is uh, what I leave. Uh, That's a nice mantra. Optimize <laughs> for success, be ready for failure. Nice mantra. <laughs> so uh, I think yeah. I think uh, a lot of people that I've seen is is sometimes that they get stuck in the failure uh, mode, right? And just a fear uh, of of failure itself. And this helps me particularly go beyond uh, that point. If you want to be a part of the mission to evangelize cryptocurrencies and be a part of the cutting edge of finance, then do check out Jobs with CoinSwitch at unti.in slash CoinSwitch. This episode of Founder Thesis Podcast is brought to you by Long Haul Ventures. Long Haul Ventures is the long haul partner for founders and startups that are building for the long haul. More about them is at www.longhaulventures.com. Thank you.